Hey, welcome back to the Yamcast. My name is Erica. And I am definitely Chris. And we like to spend some time dissecting the Bible. Yeah. And really making it stand out and be relevant to young adults. Yeah, we're passionate about that age group because we were once that. As we all were. A long time ago. (laughs) Yeah, so we talk about that and uh, we love hearing questions and comments that you have so reach out to us we're going to start the book of philemon this week we'd love to know if you have questions about it so reach out to us on yamcastpod at gmail.com or the socials yeah we're well we're done (laughs) we are done that's good cut that james no we're leaving it (laughs) leaving all of it so as you said we are talking through yeah Filet mignon this week. Filet mignon. I've now said it and can't unsay it ever. Yeah, you've had a lot of trouble this week as we've talked through uh-huh. the book of Philemon. Every time we bring it up, you can't say Philemon. No. You keep it just starts saying with filet mignon. And then it goes to mignon. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's one way to do it. So it might just continue to happen, or I might just call him Philly, which I know is not quite there either, but I just. Philemon. <laughs> I even had to think about it. There you go. Golly. There you okay. Go. You got it. So we referenced this letter when we went through Colossians. Yes. These letters were thought to have been sent together. That is, in my opinion, the most likely yeah. case. Yes. And Philemon is the recipient who's kind of like a wealthy man. Super wealthy. Who has slaves. Written from Paul in order to ease the welcoming of his slave Onesimus who ran away. Yeah. That's kind of the premise, which we've talked about in Colossians, what this is about. Right. We brought it up in the beginning of Colossians. So if you missed that, go back and start listening to the Colossians series from the get go, like get to the beginning of it and go all the way back through. And you'll start to see a little bit of what we're talking about. It kind of gives you some background, but we'll dig into that background a little more as we dig into this letter. And the way that Paul addresses the problem is pretty amazing and I think by the last episode of Philemon, or, or when we do our re- recap of Philemon in, in Colossians together, there's some springboard possibilities that then led to some pretty amazing movements in the West mm. years later, partly because of the book of Philemon. And so, spoiler alert, one of those is the, the abolition of slavery. Oh. So I think a proper understanding of this book leads to that. Okay. And we'll, we'll talk about that at the very end yeah. of the book. So there's the spoiler for you. And if you're like, oh, I don't want slavery to exist. I want it. We all don't want it to exist. Mm-hmm. So, and this book has a big reason uh, or big part in playing in that. So. All right. So let's do our read through. Here we go. Verse one of Philemon. And there are no chapters it's in Philemon. this. So if you hear verse one and you're like, what, what chapter are we on? It's just going to be verses one through seven, then eight through whatever we decided, and then so on and so forth mm-hmm. from there. All right. Verse one, Paul or Paulos, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. So this is a very op- like interesting opening this time, Yep. him calling himself a prisoner for Christ. Mm-hmm. So we already said this, written by Paul, but I'll just, you know, reiterate it. Written by Paul to Philemon. And what do we, besides what I kind of said before, like a wealthier man with some slaves, do we know anything else about Philemon? 
that would be good to know. Well, here's what we do know. He says the church in your house. So he's not just a wealthy man. He's wealthy enough to actually host the church in the house. You follow what I'm saying? Well, and I, cause I thought that it was, um, okay. Cause I guess I was thinking that it was Afia and Archippus, or how you say his name, that it was their house that had the, but right. no, I don't think so. Okay. Just based on the reading and based on most of the commentary studies that I've done, what it's saying is Philemon, our fellow worker, these two I other people, the commas, yeah. Afia and Archippus, and the church in your home. So I think the reason why he's bringing up Afia and Archippus, he's already brought up Archippus at the end of chapter four of mm-hmm. Colossians, remember? In Archippus, he uses this weird term, our fellow soldier. He's talking about like a warrior in the Lord here, somebody who's with him. And I don't think, because if you read the end of four of Colossians, Archippus seems to be with him in the jail and maybe is along with Tychicus and bringing the letter too, possibly, you know, like, or, or something along that lines. Well, he gets that direct quote. He yes. gets the direct quote of like, do the ministry that you've been called to. Correct. Which might be because he's going back home and he's supposed to do this, or it mm-hmm. could be that, you know, he is in Colossae, whatever. But whatever's going on here, he seems to be addressing Philemon in the church in your house. And then he seems to be bringing Afia and Archippus into the conversation, which Again, we don't actually know what went down. Yeah. We don't know why this is happening. We don't know what's weird. But they, they're they all here in the church. So it, it seems like I, I'm looking at some of the comments that we've got in this. Like, I think they could be married, Afia and Archippus. They also could not be. We don't know. Like, we don't, we know almost nothing about these folks. And the question then becomes, yeah, so where is the church? Is it actually Afia and Archippus? And, and there's a couple of commentaries that will take it that direction. But the fact that Philemon is wealthy enough to have slaves, and I, I want to say right up front here, this is not Paul's endorsement of slavery. I want, I want, I want you to give us a couple of weeks here to sort of spell this out. However, slavery in the ancient world, especially within the Christian church, was a way different experience than anything we would be talking about now. So in the last year, you know, a lot of us have gotten passionate about a lot of different things, whether it's Black Lives Matter or whether it's some offshoot of Black Lives Matter, right? Mm -hmm. Or when you see, you know, terrible things happening around the world and you you see that there might be a sense of race involved in that, we usually kind of flip out and rightfully so because we want justice. We want things to be right. When we say the word slavery in the world that we live in today, that could trigger people. And rightfully so, yeah. because you see the show Roots, right? You watch the old show, The Roots, or you, um, you know, or you watch a movie about slavery and you just get so overwhelmed. Like Amistad was incredible years ago and broke my heart. And you just go, why would we have allowed any of this to happen? Yeah. When we're talking about Roman slavery, it's really more like indebted ser- servanthood. What, now, that doesn't mean that people weren't mistreated and that people weren't enslaved. There were some folks out there that were enslaved. And if you were like a, you know, one in a battle or something, then yes, you were mistreated, treated totally differently. But a lot of times what happened with men like Philemon, they had enough wealth that individuals would come to them and they would say, I want to, I, I need to, I owe you money or I need money. And so they would come and they'd say, can I borrow, you know, 300 denarii or whatever, 300 days wages. And 
a guy like Philemon would then lend it to the person. And then they would work for him. And then they would work for him for the X amount of time to make sure that that debt was paid off. If anything, that's closer to what we would deal with like with the mortgage today or something mm, like that. Okay. And so when a slave is a slave, usually we read that in the New Testament and we think, well, I can't believe that slavery is allowed in the New Testament or in the Bible. No one ever said slavery was the right thing to do. But the culture that Paul's living in, slavery is normal. And the fact that Philemon is wealthy enough to have slaves means that he's wealthy enough to have a large enough house that would probably host the church. the church. So that's a huge, long explanation into this, but that's part of where we're getting. Yeah. Okay. Verse three, grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This seems like a very normal greeting, kind of like us almost when we start letters being like, oh, I hope you are well. And I, I mean, he does this in all of his letters. Granted, this is to a specific person rather than a group of people like he usually does or like we've talked about in the past. But just seems, yeah, like a very normal greeting. Yeah. And who wouldn't want to receive grace from a guy like Paul, right? Mm-hmm. And who wouldn't want to receive peace from the Lord? So, yeah, it's pretty normal. It's he, he likes talking like this. And you also see the formality of how Paul is addressing people in these letters. Do you know what I'm saying? Like that is the, if you read a Roman letter from that time, this is how they are written. They're Mm -hmm. they're written and they would read. So there's a formality to it. You know, it'd be like if we wrote today, you know, to whom it may concern, you know, or whatever, or dear blank, you know, I send you my warmest regards for these things, but here's what I want to talk about, you know, or whatever. Uh, It's pretty normal, but it's a great, yeah, it's a great greeting. I like it. All right, ready? Mm-hmm. Verse four, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. So he's thankful, thankful for Philemon, which says a lot about Philemon. Yes. Because I don't think he would just throw this out there. I mean, he could, but I think that, yeah, it says a lot about Philemon for Paul to say, like, I'm always thankful for you. Yeah. It shows that he's a dear person to Paul, mm-hmm. which is kind of crazy because Paul's never been to Colossae. Yeah. <clears throat> so then you start going, all right, what, what is happening? Unless, unless, and this is the only case that I would make, is maybe Philemon was written way later and Paul had gotten to Colossae at some point. I mean, that's a possibility, but I doubt it. I mean, my guess is it's, it's possible that because Paul has spent time with Epaphras, Epaphras has said, man, this Philemon guy lets us stay in his house, look at all these great things. And, and like I said in Colossians, I kind of intimated the fact that it's possible that the, the issue with Philemon has to do with Philemon's faith not matching what mm-hmm. he says he believes. And so it's possible that, you know, Epaphras or Onesimus brought back a report to Paul and Paul just loves Philemon and he's saying, I, I, you know, I, I so appreciated you letting the church meet in the house, all these great things. But I, I want to warn you too with verse four, he is going to butter Philemon up. Mm-hmm. And then our next section that we're going to deal with next week or our next recording of Philemon, he takes that buttering up and then he lays on an argument that is intense. And, yeah. and so Philemon's going to take these great little moments in the beginning of, I, I thank God always and I remember you in my prayers. Oh, that's, that's so great, Paul. Paul, the Paul, thinks of me when he prays. And then Paul's going to just drop the hammer in a little bit. So I also sometimes read verse 4 with a little bit of angst because I know what's coming. And mm-hmm. I'm going, yeah, we'll talk about this later in the letter. But I, I kind of wonder, like, is this really the best way to start, you know, 
that'll make more sense when we get further. Mm-hmm. So, all right, verse five. Because I hear of your love and the faith that you you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. I mean, again, Philemon sounds like a really upstanding individual that he has love and faith toward the saints, which now Onesimus is a part of. Yes. So and I think that's he put that in there for a purpose, kind of letting him see like you have this love and this faith toward the saints. And then, yes, as we talk later on, he's going to be like, and now because you have that. Mm-hmm. Your former slave is a part of that. So, yeah, no, it's huge. And I, <clears throat> Philemon is a great guy, which is why this letter was written. Mm-hmm. If Philemon was a total jerk, Paul wouldn't have even attempted this. He probably would have just gone a totally different route. Uh, but Philemon's a good enough guy that he's going to say, all right, let's, let's think this through. Let's process this. Why don't you lean in close with me, Philemon? Let's have a conversation. Mm-hmm. All right. Verse six. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. So when I read this, I was like, isn't that what we all want? Mm-hmm. Like the sharing of our faith to be effective? Yeah. Like it's such great words. Because, yeah, that's like truly what we all would want mm-hmm. of our lives. And you see this in, in Colossians. I mean, that's what we just spent this whole time breaking down. If Christ has really done what he says he did in chapters 1 and 2, this is how we now live, chapters 3 and 4. And if this is how Christ is and this is how we now live— that, that should just lead to effectiveness, right? I mean, if we're going to follow through and really believe what we believe and our lives match it to some extent, and even as I say that, part of our lives matching it means that we know we're never good enough to fully deserve what we've received. So we live a lives of humility and, and, and repentance and, and love. If, if all that's true, then what, what we do is we go, whoa, my, my faith is effective. Like this is actually working. And then... He says this interesting thing, the full knowledge of every good thing that is in the sake of Christ Jesus. A little bit of homework, folks. Go back to chapter 1 and reread the first 15 verses or so and try to mm-hmm. compare that phrase right there to something that he says there. And just try to spend some time on that. So that's a little homework that I'll, I'll send you, our, our, pod, our pod, podcast listeners. We, we both should have brought water or something because yeah, no. we're tripping over words every once in a while. All righty, verse 7. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Like, again, we kind of talk about this. These are really big compliments. Mm-hmm. I mean, the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. I mean, granted, if they are meeting in his house, mm-hmm. that is a big thing to be happening. And that's where the their hearts would be refreshed, right? So him letting them use his home. But it still is so big. Like, that's, Wow. It feels uncomfortable. Yeah, I kind of, like if somebody were to say that of me, yeah, you kind of are like, oh, wow, that feels not, not like it's not right, but you think of all the things that you do that does not refresh other people, you know, and you're right. like, oh, that's not quite. What I have this joke or whatever when people come up to me and they say, that was so great. I just loved that message you gave or I love the way you made that thing make sense, you know, or or you get, you know, a message from somebody, hey, I'm listening to the podcast. Thank you so much. That was so great. You know, I just love the way you guys interact on that. My first thought is always, I'm going to let you down someday. So just be careful with the compliments. <laughs> you know, like there's a day coming when I'm going to totally blow it and you're going to go, he's not as great as I thought he was. So let's just try to entertain that idea, you know, that no one really deserves this much praise. At least that's how I want to live. Mm-hmm. But, okay, so that's the first seven verses. And we're going to... quick. And what we're going to see is there's a, there's a stage being set, and we'll build this in the, in the next couple of weeks 
as we kind of unpack this book. But I want you to be thinking about Colossians, and I want you to be thinking about these first seven verses and go, Paul's really buttering this guy up. What is happening? What's going on? And part of that is Philemon is a really good guy. Like, I don't find Paul to be disingenuous. Do you know what I'm saying? No, no, not at all. So when I say buttering him up, I'm not saying that Paul doesn't believe what he's saying. What Paul is actually making the case for, and I want you to pay attention to this in the weeks ahead, but also just right now be thinking about this. If Paul says all these great things about you, and they really are true, what Paul's then going to do is push the gas pedal down in the next couple sections and say, if that is true, this is how you live. Mm -hmm. How is that any different than Colossians? If Jesus did this, this is how you live. Mm -hmm. That's Ephesians. If Christ did this, this is how you live. Romans, if Christ did this, this is how we now live. And this is something that we kind of miss a lot of times in the church today. And I, so I want us to, that's why I wanted to go into this book too. I, I think if you put this one in Colossians together, we're going to make a lot of cool connections and it's going to be kind of neat. But those first seven verses are just the open. Mm-hmm. Cool. Alrighty. Now it's time for the deeper dive. And here, I just want to open up an idea. We're not going to dig into the text super deep. We don't really have anything uh, super special to do. Uh, you know, that I'm sure there's a Greek word or two that if we wanted to bore everybody, we could just do that. What I want to talk about is the, the importance of Christian community. And specifically here, I want you just to think about the fact that Onesimus sees it as so important to be involved in the Christian church that he is willing to put his life on the line to, to, to go try and actually restore broken relationships. Do you know what I'm saying? His time with Paul has led, did I say Philemon? I meant Onesimus. Or did um, I say I Onesimus? don't remember. Just Onesimus is the <laughs> slave that we're talking about. But just think if, if, but it's still the same thing. Like Philemon is so committed to God and Onesimus is so committed to God that, that they will stop at nothing to redeem a broken relationship. And, that speaks a lot to the church that we, we're in today. And I, I don't mean necessarily the church that we both attend, but I mean the church in general, America or the worldwide church, whichever way you look at it, the need for Christian community and the need for deep Christian community where you understand that the family of God is important in your life enough that you're willing to sacrifice almost anything to restore whatever needs to happen to move forward. And this speaks to some of the monthly fives we've done and some of the other things we've talked mm-hmm. about, right? Just the need for the, the Christian community to be gathered around us and, and a part of who we are. What I find amazing with the book of Philemon is what, what Paul is going to push for is there should be nothing that stops us from wanting to have amazing Christian community. And when I'm thinking about young adults and, Christ, and, and college students – we usually gravitate toward, you know, an university or crew, yeah. mm-hmm. right? Some type of local. Uh, it's usually on our college campus. It's a college campus ministry. All the people same our age and. And it's whatever. great. I think that is awesome. Absolutely plug into that. But that should not be at the loss of having an actual faith community that you're tied into. That Christian community that you're receiving in one of, you know, a campus ministry should be in addition to actually plugging into a body of Christ. And the reason why that matters is what you just said. So say that again. Well, I just said that you're th- they're all the same age. Huge. Yeah. And all after the same thing. A mm-hmm. college degree, 
you know, well, most most college students are, right? Yeah. But you know, you're looking after, you're looking for a college degree, you're looking for a community, and you're all like minded. But the amount of conversations I have with college students who leave college and then move to a new area and mourn the loss of all of their Christian mm. friends or mourn the loss of this college community they had, you know, typically you're hanging out with people that all have the same major, right? So you're, you know, you're committed engineering students and you're all talking about engineering all the time. And then you move into a construction job where you're working engineering and you're kind of going, mm. I've lost all my community and I don't have that and I'm missing it. The way to learn that is during college. Start learning how to plug into a new community. And if Onesimus, who, was some, you know, some commentators say he stole from Philemon and that, that led to it. Some have suggested that he stole from Philemon because Philemon wasn't paying him the wages he actually deserved. Mm. And so why Onesimus runs to Paul is he's like, Philemon's not a man of his word. This is messed up. And what Paul does is, is sort of correct Onesimus and help Onesimus realize that he's missed it. But imagine being sent back to the faith community where you deserve death, right? I mean, we've, I, I know that I've had moments in my life where I've I, deeply shameful moments in my life, and I'm, yeah. I'm sure you've had a few mm-hmm. too. The idea of walking back into my church in those moments is the last thing on my mind. Because I'm afraid of how I'm going to get judged or how I'm going to be seen or how I'm going to be perceived. Imagine walking back into a church community that they have every right to put you to death the moment you walk in the door. Mm-hmm. And then I want you to imagine that you feel the pressure from the Lord, Jesus Christ himself. You understand your place in the community, both the Christian community and the, you know, the, the regional community that you live in, that you feel so committed to that idea that I want to give myself to Christian community, that you will give up everything, potentially your life and all of it, to step back into that community. And folks, when I talk to college students and they're going, oh, I don't really want to plug into a community because it's going to be uncomfortable. You don't know them. Like there's nothing to be uncomfortable about. All you need to do is step into it and say, I'm looking for this. Because the difference that you're not going to get from a college ministry to the local church is you're not going to get multiple generations. No. You're not going to serve the children. You're not going to serve the youth. You're not going to jump into an adult small group. You're not going to have an elderly woman that's going to pull you aside and ask you how she can pray for you. You're not going to have a couple that asks you to come to lunch after church. You know, your college ministry leader might do that for a few of you here and there, but they aren't capable of doing that. And your college ministry leader is being forced to go to a local church as well, because that's one of the standards that we have for college ministry leaders. They have Mm -hmm. to have a local church that they're involved in. So if, if everybody else in your life is doing this, you may not like the church. You may think that this is all ridiculous. You might have come to Christ in college and been like, oh, I don't need a church. I've got this great group of IV students that are... You are missing something. The community of Christ, the, the an idea of a local body of Christ, a faith community that we call a church, you've got to plug in. You've got to set yourself in a place that you're just going to say, you know what, I'm going to surrender everything I've got, and I'm going to come, and I'm going to, I'm going to enter this community. Well, and as you said, if you just focus on the college campus ministry, it doesn't really set you up for a lot of success after you leave that community because then you don't know how to plug into a church. I mean, that's kind of what you're saying. Like that's why learning how to plug into a church when you're in college, when you actually have friends that you could go to it with that make it a little easier, that will help you understand how then to plug into a church Mm -hmm. when you move, wherever you move, however many times you end up moving, it won't be as weird or awkward because for one, you know, you need it. And for two, 
you've done it before. So then it's not as big of a deal. I've told students, and this is kind of a tangent, but it's a quick one. I've told students for years, I want you to have a, a passport and I want you to have an international missions experience while you're in high school. Because your college years, you were able to go anywhere and do anything at the at a drop. Of, you're never going to have that experience in your life again. You're going to, you know, you're eventually going to get married. You're eventually possibly going to have kids. And when you do that, life is over. Sorry. <laughs> sorry, sorry, girls. Like, and I don't mean it in a bad way, but Heidi and I can't just pick up and run. The time in my life that I was able to do that was, was a specific period between 18 and 22, 23, somewhere in there. And we were able to just kind of, you know, when I got married, even we were able to pick up and go somewhere if we wanted to. You don't have that experience again. I remember right before my honeymoon, the, the earthquake in Indonesia happened. Uh, and we wanted, you know, I wanted to kind of ditch the wedding and go to Indonesia and, and do relief work. And I wasn't allowed to. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, it was not wise for me not to marry my wife. Mm-hmm. So I stayed back. But I remember sitting there thinking, I want, I don't, not necessarily that I want freedom, but I'm never going to have that kind of freedom again. Mm-hmm. And same way, I want you to use your college and young adult experience as practice for what the future is going to look like. You're going to find out that you don't love the church that you're in, but you're going to have to learn how to love them. And you're going to have to learn how to sit down with the pastor and have honest, good conversations about theology because you're going to have those for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. I have people walk in my office all the time who are not happy with something or they're struggling with something. And the only way to get through it is good, faithful Christianity and Christian community where we dig in together and we go, you know what? I'm not backing down. I want to make this right. So let's figure this out. And that's really what Onesimus is, is being forced to do from Paul. And it's a good thing. And it's the question that Philemon's going to have to deal with in the, the next few verses. So the deeper dive here is just, are you involved in, in, in Christian community? Do you have a faith community that you're tied to? If you do not, you need to find one and you need to plug yourself in. And if you're like, that's scary, that's weird, get over it. That's the most pastoral dad thing I can do to you right now. Get over it and get involved. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's get practical. Let's get practical, practical. So my let's get practical this week is like if we ever find ourselves needing to interject into a disagreement with two people, can we remind the people of who they are, why they are that way, and then bring up what is needed? So Paul does not right away start in with Onesimus stuff, but reminds um, Philemon that he is faithful and loving toward the saints, that people are refreshed by him, that he has influence over others. And what he does next is crucial to keeping his character and integrity intact. So I imagine Philemon is not pleased with Onesimus, and as time probably went by, he may have even maybe become bitter Who knows what his emotions are towards Onesimus. But it is really important that we remember who he is and who he serves, Philemon, Mm -hmm. in order to make a decision that's not solely based on his emotions. Because I think when he first sees Onesimus, I don't think he's going to be like, brother. I I think he's going to be probably pretty bitter and like mad because of something that he did. But with having this letter from Paul and he's reminded like, okay, this is who I say I am, follower of Christ, yada, yada, yada. Then this, as you talked about, this is then how I need to respond. Yes. And it needs to be different. And not that we can't have a conversation where I can air my grievances. Totally. But forgiveness needs to happen, like, you know, all of that. And so, I mean, I feel like this is a great 
letter to have right after we talk about Colossians because it's the practicality of what Colossians is, right? So Exactly. It'll be good. Exactly. And it's not even to say that you don't have righteous indignation by your grievances, but it's the way that you bring them to the table is done differently. So I, I, I'm mm-hmm. totally with you. It's huge. So, yeah, I want you to be heard, but I also want you to do it in such a way that it, it, it pleases the Lord. And I don't know about you, but I've had that conversation in my head a lot of times before I go into a conversation that oh, I yeah. know is going to be difficult. And my first prayer is not, God, make them hear what I'm supposed to say. I've learned over the years, just start asking humbly, Lord, I'm not seeing this right. I know that I'm wrong in some way. Show me how I'm wrong so that I can handle this conversation better and I can actually guide them to a place where we're all on the same page. That's hard, but it's it's important. And that's kind of where we're going to head with this whole letter. So. Yeah, confrontation's never easy, but it can be far easier when you handle it in a humble and graceful way. Like, I know I've had to have confrontational conversations, and when I end up having those, it I start with basically where I'm coming from. Like, I love you. I'm doing this as a friend. You know, like, I kind of start with all of that mm-hmm. so that they know that I'm not coming at them, judging them, attacking them, all of those things, and then they can take it a little bit better. Right. Yeah, anyways. No, it's great. Mm -hmm. It's perfect. Here we go. I'm in charge of the switchboard today, so we're going to see how this goes. Council Corner with Erica. It's working. So the Council Corner this week kind (laughs) of goes along with what we chatted about in our Let's Get Practical. So, Chris, when someone says, well, I just didn't feel like it, like, what's your response to them? Get over it. No, I'm kidding. But yeah. no, kind of. But like, really, like, what would be? Yeah, when someone says, I just didn't feel like it, it also depends on who I'm talking to. Mm-hmm. If it's my children and they didn't do the dishes because they didn't feel like it, they usually have a punishment coming. If it's my wife, I am gracious and kind and I will put up with anything because I want to make her happy. Uh, if it is, you know, a church person that is under my discipleship care, I spend some time guiding them and pushing them to think differently. Is this what you're looking for? Are you looking for No, yeah, for no, you're, you're yeah. fine. I mean, because usually when people say I just didn't feel like it, a lot of times it has to do with um, them not like getting out of a commitment, but like basically they didn't do something they were supposed to do. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I think we've kind of come to a place where each generation is getting more and more in tuned with their feelings, which can be a good thing. But I think it can also be a bad thing. Like back when my grandparents were our age, not much was based on feelings. You just did what you had to do and you pulled yourself up by your bootstraps and you like you got it done. Like you didn't right. complain. You literally just did what you had to do. And my my history is all with farmers. Like they were on the farm. It's got to get done. Like right. no one else is going to do it besides you, you know. So mm-hmm. there was no... I just don't feel like it today. I have a headache. Like there was none of that. It was you just go and do it. And in some ways, they never really fully process some of that and have some negative side effects because of that and probably some different mental issues and whatnot. (laughs) But I also think that we've swung like all the way to the other side where we only seem to do what our feelings tell us to do. Right. And this is a really dangerous place to be in, too, because our feelings are transient. Like, they change from moment to moment. So how can we really be trusted all of the time for them to direct us in what we're supposed to be doing? We do need to be aware of our feelings 
and what and whatnot because we can end up having some like major health issues mm-hmm. as a result if you just push them aside all of the time. But we shouldn't allow our emotions to play like a major role in our decisions in day-to-day stuff. And why? And that's because who will who will be able to trust us if we're constantly going with our emotions? Who is going to be able to rely on us? Like, we'll be the flaky, unreliable person. And we all know those people in our lives mm-hmm. who kind of are that. And that's usually because they're doing a lot of stuff based on how they feel. So just because we didn't feel like it that day doesn't mean like we can't actually still show up and do what we're supposed to do. To be real, we have to do a lot of things that we don't feel like doing. And that's kind of a part of maturing and a part of adulthood. And really, when you kind of have that feeling of I just don't feel like it, you kind of you really need to prioritize. Is this something that people are relying on me for? Because if it is, you kind of need to do it. Mm -hmm. If I mean, there's really no other way around it. If it's something just for you, you could probably let those things slide. That's not that big of a deal. I mean, I don't think that every time you have the feeling of I just don't feel like it, that means you have to push through. There's some times when that means maybe you need to actually rest and take a moment. But if people are relying on you, you you might need to push through. Mm -hmm. Um, But I just I was I've, I've been struck by this when I see some of our young people that just like they say I needed a nap today. So they just don't go to work. (laughs) <laughs> or they um, they needed a mental health day, and so they they texted their boss that they weren't coming in, even though they had a major project that needed to be done that day. Or like they, I just don't sometimes think they realize the re- repercussions of those right. those choices and how many people you're actually putting out because you decide you can't do it today. And so I think that's uh, yeah. I just feel like we've swung with those feelings. In the generations. And I do think we need to be, we need to know what our feelings are, but we can't always let them dictate our day-to-day lives because I might be happy for right now, but then I'm going to get hungry and I'm going to be real mad. Like, Mm -hmm. and I can't let that constantly influence how I'm going to live my life, you know? Totally. Totally. And I think I'm totally with you and it frustrates me because... I'm old enough now to know there's a number of things that if I said, I just don't feel like it, I'm not just letting people down. Like I'm, I'm potentially really hurting people Mm -hmm. severely. And so even the beginning of this question, when you asked me that question, you know, I joked about if Heidi says, I don't feel like it. She says that about things like, man, it's warm in this room. I wish the fan was on, but I just don't really feel like getting up. Mm -hmm. And I am, a dutiful husband who loves my wife. So I'll jump out of bed and I'll go turn the fan on quick. Cause I, I also love serving her and she serves me in a number of ways. It's not even, it's not yeah. like it. I, I don't want to make it seem like she's just, you know, she gets away with whatever and I have to do all this stuff. But when I look at my kids, I respond to them differently because I want them to have the experience that I have where I get to look at it and go, man, I really, I did well on this. And even though I didn't feel like it, I, I accomplished what needed to be done mm-hmm. and I didn't let people down. And that's huge. Because Heidi doesn't have that at all with the big things. You know, there's things that need to get done. And even if she doesn't feel like it, they get done. And that's beautiful. And so we both have that and our kids have that. And part of what I'm frustrated with with young adults sometimes is they don't even realize that the decisions they're making now are going to impact who they're going to become later. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's kind of what you're saying yeah. in a, just a different way. And so we're looking forward to you doing 
hard things, which actually th- there's a book written by the Harris brothers on that. It's called mm. do, do Hard Things. Tremendous book, really helpful, kind of pushes your buttons a little bit. But, you know, to kind of close that idea, one of the brothers actually married a, a woman. They had a great wedding, and then she was found to have a severe autoimmune disease that she's basically bedridden for her wow. whole life. And so he feeds her, and he carries her downstairs and bathes her and showers her, like just takes care of her, like, mm. all the time. And uh, because of his faith in the Lord, he's willing to serve her whatever it takes. And I think we have way too many young adults who would probably bail on that because it's just, no, it's too hard. I don't want to do it. Um, But then you'll watch a movie where someone sacrifices themselves for someone Mm -hmm. else. And you're like, I just love that so much. Well, you don't get there without doing it. Right. Yeah. So be that person. Mm -hmm. For sure. All righty. All right. I think that's a wrap. There we go. We can do it without James. Oh. Not really. No. He just taught me how to push a couple of buttons. <laughs> so speaking of which. He still has to do the rest of it. Yeah. So. Yeah. So we'll see you later. Bye. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Yamcast. You can check us out at yamcast.podbean.com or on any other podcasting apps like iTunes. We would love it if you'd leave us a review that is any number between four and a half and five stars. If you have any questions that you'd like us to answer here on the podcast, you can email us at yamcastpod at gmail.com. That is yamcastpod at gmail.com. If you'd like more information about us, you can check us out at parkhillschurch.com or on the App Store with the Park Hills Church app. We are also on Instagram, so give us a follow at the Yamcast. Cast.